What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Ectoplasm Show. My name is Josh Hurd. Joining me is my good buddy, Mr. Jason Koopsik. What's cracking? No, oh, I'm a little bummed that I didn't actually uh, wasn't in on the interview today. Yeah, I know. I know you're bummed. But, Mr. Redford... I mean, if I was in on it, though, I think I... I would have made it go too long, probably. <laughs> I understand. I understand. But I know that we were uh, we were a little pressed for time, you know. So I didn't want to be, I didn't want to take up too much of the guy's time. So, but it was a good, it was uh, a good interview. I hope these, uh, I hope these peeps enjoy it. So, so what's uh, what's new, new in your world? Um, Anything you can talk about yet? <laughs> uh, I, uh, I'm i going to say no for now. However, this weekend, this weekend I am meeting with uh, the powers that be. We're going to have a little sit-down powwow, if you will. And we will be chatting about, about that. And I'm going to bring it up. I'm going to bring up the fact. I'll be like, hey. Can I just fucking spill the beans already and let everybody know? And I'm sure they'll be fine with it. So then on Sunday, when we record our uh, our Tuesday show, the news show. I have a little bit of announcement about that show, but go ahead and finish. No, I was just going to say I'll, I'll most likely be spilling the beans then on Tuesday. That's good. Yeah. What's So what's going on? Uh, Josh, at least Josh, and possibly Kip from Big Rip will be here on Sunday to record. No fucking way. With us. And I told him, we'll see what happens. I told him he could bring his own stories for the news segment. Or he can just sit and comment on our own. So we'll see what happens. That's badass. Are they bringing beer? I'm sure. It's probably a good idea. (laughs) You should come down. Yeah, if it wasn't uh, Mother's Day. You know, yeah. There's but, that. I mean, we don't record till nighttime. That's a good point. It's the right time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. Sadly, I'm gonna have to uh, be awake at you know five thirty the next morning. Yeah, you'll survive. Which might suck a little ass. I don't know, man. I don't know. Just if stay I would. up. <laughs> yeah. Stay up. Come down here, get drunk. I'll sit up with you for a few hours until you're sober enough to drive home. And then you just go to work. Get drunk, sober up, and then drive three hours to work. Smelling like ass. Oh, you just get a little bit of that brute and you'll be fine. Some brute. Yeah, that's what we used in middle school. We had okay, yeah, we had a lot of brute in middle school also, but nowadays Yeah. Nowadays, (laughs) um, the kids are using all that Axe body spray, and I swear to God, man, you walk down, like, at the uh, the school here in the, the town where I live, you walk down the middle school hallway, and it smells like Axe cologne, but it looks like, I mean, it smells like somebody fucking took a bath in it. Like, it's that bad. Huh. It's horrible. And I'm not, I, I have no gripes about Axe body spray whatsoever. I've used it personally, but goddamn. Not that much. I'm an Old Spice man. You like the Old Spice? Yeah. Nice. Nice. 
back in the, back in high school, I used to wear curve, curve like it was yeah, my job. Curve, curve. <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> oh, you know, I noticed that the best smelling cologne I've ever had, at least what my wife liked the most, was this Playboy cologne. Playboy, uh, I've never actually owned or worn their cologne. I've smelled it. They make a good cologne. I'm going to call my buddy out, Eric, out on this. He has a <laughs> jar of Paris Hilton for men cologne in his car that he likes. Hold up. I don't know how often he uses it. Hold up. I think he bought it as a joke. Paris Hilton for men? Yes. This is a thing? I, I guess it was. I don't know. I don't know where he got it. So this is what Paris Hilton expects men to smell like. Is that, is that what it is? Maybe. That's he it. claims that it smells pretty good. I swear to God, if you all... if Dude... Like dudes out there, if you're listening and you're looking for a cologne, trust me on this. If you got the money, if you got the scratch for this, go to a Hollister store. And I would never set foot in a Hollister store on even on a bet unless it's to buy this cologne. But it's called Jake. Jake, buy Hollister. Get in there. Buy the damn cologne. 45 seconds later, you're back outside to safety. And buy that Kelowna. I swear to God, you will you will thank me. But it's fucking pricey. That's for sure. But that shit is amazing. So we can't have Redfern on without mentioning the upcoming event. Absolutely. Micro, or ectoplasm micro event at Malvern Manor with Nick Redfern. And he speaks about it near the end of the... Uh, oh, yeah. About how excited he is and... To, to yeah, do this. It was really cool. Um, yeah, but definitely. Um, and guys, tickets are still available for that June 24th at Malvern Manor with Nick Redfern. Um, and obviously Jason and myself will be there hanging out as well. But it's your opportunity to uh, rub elbows, you know, and be have this nice little intimate gathering with Nick Redfern, really get a chance to can, pick his brain. Yeah, if you can listen to this episode and not want to be there, right? Then I don't know why you're listening. That's a good point. <laughs> well, I tell you what, man. Let's just uh, we're gonna let the uh, the interview speak for itself. Now, Nick had a problem with the Skype. He said it kept dropping. It was all fuckered up and all that stuff. So uh, we just had to do a phone call. So. That being said, Jason sadly wasn't able to be in on the actual interview itself. I do have to say though that I sent you questions. You sent you me all the that questions. Those were like the best questions yes. he's had in a long time. So all the questions that I ask, <laughs> except for the follow-up questions, yeah, every actual question I ask is from from Jason's brain. And yeah, he he was pretty impressed with your questions though. Made me feel good. <laughs> I can't Hell believe yeah. that nobody's asked him what the hardest book is he's ever written. That's a good point. Maybe or it's because nobody's maybe it's... ever asked him about his favorite conspiracy theory. I don't. I well, don't understand how nobody's asked him that. Well, he said he's written. I think it's thirty-three or thirty-six books. Thirty-six. So just in the time more coming out. Right? Yeah, I'm like just in the time that you and I are talking right now. I'm sure three more have just been published. Um, it's ridiculous. How many books that man has out right now? But we'll let the so interview let's get speak. To the episode yeah. yeah, for the interview, absolutely. Yeah, we'll talk to you guys right after the show, or right after the interview. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, and joining us is best-selling author, lecturer, ufologist, cryptozoologist, Mr. Nick Redford. How are you doing, sir? Hey, Josh. I'm doing good, thanks. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this for us. Yeah, no problem at all. I'm actually very excited, too, because you're going to be a part of our uh, June 24th ectoplasm event going on at Malvern Manor where you, the listener, can actually... Uh, get the opportunity to rub elbows, so to speak, with Mr. Redfern. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's sort of a little bit different from what I usually do, you know. I mean, and I like that because I do a lot of conferences, and uh, I kind of like it when things are sort of mixed up a bit, and it's a bit alternative, you know. It sort of uh, gives people something sort of new to think about. You know? Yeah, I gotta, I gotta say, like I am super stoked about about doing this um and just getting the chance to uh to hang out and uh pick your brain for a little bit you know it'll be uh it'll be a lot of fun now you have you have written so many books um what is the exact number at right now um well i think it's 36 published and um probably another five or six will be published between now and probably mid next year something like that absolutely outstanding um some of the some of the books out there uh the real men in black uh the world's weirdest uh the nasa conspiracies um body snatchers in the desert i mean the list goes on and on uh close encounters of the fatal kind um absolutely amazing stuff now you know out of all of these books um you know which one was the most difficult, in your opinion? You know to to author. Oh, that's a good question. You know, I've never actually been asked that question before. <laughs> <laughs> you put me on the spot. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would, I'd say, um, I wouldn't say it's much difficult to write it, but I think I mean writing usually comes pretty easy to me. But it's sort of more the research. You know, sure. sometimes you can hit a brick wall. Um, and I would, I would possibly say one that you actually mentioned, Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind, and that sort of took a different approach to the UFO subject. You know, I mean, right. when, when I'm writing a book, always the main thing I have in mind is what can I bring that's new for the reader? You know, you don't want to just, if people are going to buy your books, you want to be able to give them something new, not just the hashed material that's been published here, there, and everywhere before. So I thought, well, why not come up with it, or why not write a full-length book on all the mysterious deaths that have occurred in ufology since the late 40s to the present day? And certainly, you know, you can find articles here and there, but nobody had ever written a book on the subject before. And so I thought, well, you know, why not try that? Now, the more I dug into this, you know, the more I found that each of the chapters that I wrote for the book could have arguably have been a book themselves because there was so much information you know exactly. what I mean yes. and so I would say that one because it was it was sort of a ch- because I was you know contracted to write the book with sort of 15 or 16 chapters it was actually sort of a bit of a difficult challenge to condense all the material you know in each case just into one chapter you know <laughs> uh, or and then the chapter on something else but I could have easily like I said and I'm not exaggerating, I've written a book pretty much on nearly all the cases in the book. Um, so that, that can sometimes be a challenge, and that with that one it certainly was, you know, sort of trimming down 
perhaps a hundred pages of research material to a fourteen-page chapter, <laughs> and, and still try and keep the essence of the story there and keep the, you know, sort of the, the good parts. <laughs> Not good for the person who died, but I mean, right, right. Good, good, good from the perspective of you know telling an interesting story. But uh, you know, there's always sort of challenges. I mean, I, I write my books in sort of a lot of different ways. I mean. The two areas I'm I'm interested in are ufology and cryptozoology, cryptozoology being the study of unknown animals. And whereas with the UFO books, um, I tend to write those in a a sort of straightforward, factual, you know, newspaper article style. But then the cryptozoology ones, which are, you know, if I go on expeditions for the looking for the Chupacabra or Bigfoot, I write them sort of in the in the theme of, of how the expedition happened. So I write them in road trip style, you know, as, as sort of like a diary style that follows me as the investigation really happens. So those books kind of start, you know, the sort of typical, it was a dark and stormy night and I jumped in the Jeep and headed off looking for the Chupacabra, that kind of Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Know? <laughs> so, so there's, you know, sort of challenges in different types of writing depending on what it is you're actually writing about. Nice. Now, as far as... As far as like the close encounters and things of that nature, um, and I've said this, I've said this many times before. Um, I, I generally find two camps of people when it comes to to discussing aliens, UFOs, what have you. Uh, the two camps of people are the ones that think, "Hey, these uh, these beings are." here to uh, spread kindness, light, and information. And then the other camp of people are like, no, they're here to uh, obliterate us all. Mm-hmm. And I, I happen to fall into the latter category, and I'm terrified yeah. you know, of these things. <laughs> um, you know, in your opinion, well, you know, in your opinion, is that, is, uh, is my fear, you know, validated? Well, I mean, the, I guess the one positive thing is that we haven't been destroyed yet. Right. You know? <laughs> um, I mean, joking aside, um, I mean, if, they, if, if the sole intent was to destroy us, then it could have been done long before we had, like, atomic weapons and chemical warfare, which probably wouldn't defeat them anyway, but it might give us at least a bit of a fighting chance. Sure. So, you know, the, on the one hand, you could make an argument that if they were going to destroy us, they would have done it. So when we, you know, we just had bows and arrows and spears or whatever, we'd be <laughs> easy to take out. On the other hand, you know, maybe that um, they're just sort of determining how far we do get, how reckless we do get, and then maybe then they'll pull the plug on us. You know, uh, we start to sort of get head further out into outer space, and you know, then we've got military spacecraft as well flying around perhaps then that could change things but you're right and on the other hand you know i don't really see any evidence that we've ever actually been helped by them you know the world's been a pretty you know um bit of a well i would say a bit of a mess it's in a hell of a mess right now you know about every aspect of uh you know overpopulation starvation terrorism threats of you know dirty bombs going off and all sorts of stuff so you know if they wanted to help us in that sense they could so my personal view is that probably like you know the human race unfortunately i think it's sort of a self-serving uh, agenda sure you know now whether that involves destroying us or helping us or just maybe it's the planet itself maybe it's the planet's resources you know i, I don't know but i mean I'm not one of these who 
takes the view that, oh, it's all sort of love and light and praise the aliens, etc., etc. <laughs> but on the other hand, you know, I'm sort of not running to the nuclear bunker yet, you know. <laughs> uh, but, I get, but I do think um, people sometimes get caught up in belief systems. Uh, sometimes they get caught up in belief systems, and what happens is that, um, you know, it becomes like a, almost like the equivalent of a religion where they have a a base story that, you know, the aliens are coming here from this star system, they're doing this, they're doing that, exactly. and it's all be, be for the greater good. Well, you know, for me, that's like a head-in-the-cloud scenario where you're, you, you gain comfort from a belief system. But for me, you know, I just tell it as it is. I think there could be manipulative, deceptive aspects to the phenomenon that we're not seeing. I mean, look at abductions. Exactly. You know, I mean, when people are reportedly taken... I mean, it's done against their will. Their minds are zapped to try and make them forget about it. And these entities are sort of skulking around in the dead of night. None of that actually sounds particularly positive. Not you know, at all. From our perspective. <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely not at all. I don't even know. Th- those are the kind of thoughts that would keep me up at night. Um, <laughs> um, Funnily enough, it doesn't keep me up at night. I'm one of these two. I, I, I'm easily to able to sort of switch up. I like to sort of work, uh, you know, if I'm writing, I, I sort of write whether it's articles or blog posts or books. I like to work eight to five, Monday to Friday, and then I switch off uh, because otherwise I think I'd just get fried and burned out, you know, if I was doing it 24-7. So I like to get up, you know, have breakfast, answer a few emails, do a few blog posts, whatever, and then I sort of get down to it and I, and I work eight to five, Monday to Friday, then you know, uh, night times, evenings in the week, and weekends. You know, that's rather interest, like um, big into music and soccer. So, sure. you know, that, that's sort of my other stuff. And then I sort of take the time away, and then I come refreshed and you know, had a few days off, and back to it Monday morning. It's always fun, always fun. Now, you know, getting getting into um, you know the aliens or possibility of of aliens. You know, there there always comes the uh, the the conversation about um, our government, and mm-hmm. you know the world as, as a general, um, you know, and how much our uh, our higher ups may know. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I mean, I think a lot of it sort of depends on um, how you define the term government. Now, if you ask me, do I think the White House and probably even the President, do I think they know a great deal? I actually don't think they do. Um, What I think is that there's probably an extremely well-buried group somewhere within the sort of governmental infrastructure, like, um, you know, these so-called black budget programs, as they call them, or SAPs, which stands for Special Access Programs, where... You know, the, I think probably that would explain how the UFO secrecy is being kept because so many people are focusing on it's the CIA or the NSA or the Pentagon. Right. So if you imagine that those agencies, they probably know quite a bit, but they, they're not really sort of the keepers of the secrets. And the ones who are are so incredibly well buried that it's pretty much impossible for anyone to find out unless of course you're brought into the program because your resources or talents might be helpful um so i think you know filing freedom information requests and 
waving banners outside the White House or the Pentagon or whatever, saying, tell us the UFO truth. I don't think that does a single bit of good. Right. Um, and I don't think it can. So, um, you know, I don't have much faith in the whole disclosure movement because I think it's very naive to think that just by asking the president or sending a bunch of letters saying, <laughs> please tell us all the truths, you know, you've hidden for 70 years, what's ridiculous, you know. <laughs> right. So I kind of take the view that somebody, but somebody knows, but, uh, you know, the challenge is how do you find a group that officially doesn't exist and whose membership doesn't officially exist and for all intents and purposes, nobody knows about them. That, that's the challenge we face, you know, we're, we're looking in the wrong direction. Right. We're not looking, we're not looking for the wrong thing, you know, it is a secret group but we're looking in the wrong place for it. It's not, you know, I, I don't think, you know, like bunkers under the CIA where they've got a bunch of frozen dead aliens, but somebody might have that somewhere, but it's just not in the places we think it is. Do you think that, um, you know, a, a group like that might ever, you know, knowledge of that group might ever come to fruition for us? Well, I think it will, or it could, and it may actually have done so on a couple of times. There are people who've come forward who claim to sort of work for, you know, classified programs that have sort of looked into the UFO subject from various angles over the years. Um, I mean, I actually wrote a book about um, six years ago called Final Events, which is a really weird story about a, a think tank type group in the government, again, sort of like a special access program where they believe the phenomenon wasn't extraterrestrial, but was literally demonic. You know, wow. when I say literally, I mean, you know, hell, demons, the whole lot. Sure. Uh, they, they thought it was like a satanic deception. Now, that's not my personal view. Um, you know, I wrote the book to show the reader how and why this group came to exist and how and why they came to that belief system, you know. So it wasn't me endorsing. I was just telling this weird story about right. the group. Um, but, so that's, you know, that kind of demonstrates that within these, you know, there are these secret groups. But I think what's also important is it demonstrates that when you have one group thinking it's extraterrestrial, one thinking it's demonic, somebody else might think it's something else. What that shows is that perhaps even after 70 years or so of investigations, even those who are in these secret groups, they may actually not know what the phenomenon really is. You know, they, I mean, be, Let's just say hypothetically they have got, um, say, five bodies from the Roswell crash and they've got a bunch of wreckage stored away. Well, that doesn't really tell you anything about the phenomenon other than the fact that 70 years ago somebody was flying around in the middle of the night and they crashed and we've got a few, you know, sort of decaying bodies and some wreckage. But that doesn't really tell you if, are they alien, are they interdimensional, are they sort of biological robots created by another form of life we still haven't seen are they time travelers you know are they sort of bio robots sent back from the future um you know just because we've got this material it might be kind of like the you know the final scenes in raiders of the lost ark where they just store all this stuff away because they don't know what to do with it you right know? Now, that's a very good point i mean yes we may have you know hypothetically like you say um we may have physical evidence of something that has gone on, but at the same time, we just don't quite have a full grasp on it. Now, you know, speaking to that, you know, people that have, you know, come forward, uh, more or less your your deathbed confessional type stories, yeah. why are these people being viewed, and not all of them, but I mean, by 
the major populace of people? Why are these um, these people that are confessing these things being viewed as as crackpot? Mm. Well, I think the problem is because if we go back to this issue of like a secret group that's really got the lid down on everything, and you know, we, we it's like with the Roswell files. You know, we I'm sure the files exist somewhere. There are probably probably hundreds of thousands of pages, but we just cannot find them sure. or get them. Um, and I think, to come back to your question, that explains why so many people take a sceptical view to whistleblowers, is because that essentially what happens is that they've got a great story to tell, but they've got no um, proof alongside it. You know, it's just their word. And then if it's an extremely controversial story, what tends to happen is that they'll then say, well, you know, they're just making this up because where's the evidence? Where's the material they've got? Exactly. And and they haven't got anything. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're lying or they're fantasists or disinformation artists or whatever. It just means that 50 years ago they may have had exposure to something really profound, which now they're talking about. But again, if it was locked down so tightly and they had no access to it, it really does just become a case of, his word against her word, you know, that kind of thing. Absolutely. I I find it interesting, too, because these are the types of people that we wouldn't generally dismiss. You Mm. know, um, we're talking generals and higher-ups in the military and and government and things of that nature. You know, these aren't people that we would normally just brush aside their every word. No, and I think the problem is it's actually two things. One is because, you know, the more sensational the subject matter, I think, unfortunately, the less likely the mainstream media is to to, to treat it sort of seriously um you know they'll do like they'll they'll cover like an edward snowden whistleblower type story yes and they'll cover that seriously but they won't cover a ufo whistleblower seriously and i think one reason is it's because the subject matter to so many of them is perceived as being unbelievable but i think the other angle is it's like an ego thing of well you know we haven't proved that ufos exist and if they did, we're the major press of the world. You know, we would know. And sure. so they're kind of like the view, well, if the UFO researchers have got this and we haven't, then they've got to be full of it, you know, because <laughs> we, we would, we're, you know, we're the journalists with degrees and credentials, etc. Right. You know, why, would you, why should we, you know, listen to some UFO researcher who claims to have interviewed and, you know, a whistleblower and written an article? So I think that comes into it as well. It's the, the media feels that if, if it's not something that they perceive as a viable subject or one that they've exposed already, it's not, it doesn't exist, you know, or it's not worth talking about. Sure. Now, I know that, um, you know, continuing on with the subject or whatever, I know that um, uh, even the Vatican has um, mm. now come forward within the past, I believe it's been two years now or so, has come forth and the head of their astrology department has said, you know, this is something that is feasible. This is something that we should possibly prepare for. Now, is that them um, kind of safeguarding their their religion, so to speak? I, I you know, well, me personally, I think if, if we were to know that aliens 100% existed, I, I do believe that organized religion would, if not crumble definitely be hurt well i think it would be hurt and i think one of the reasons being that you know people would say well you know we we were told or we assume that life just you know human looking life 
just appears on our planet. You know, you know, the, the whole idea we were made in sort of God's image, that kind of thing. But you know, if there are other sort of humanoid type extraterrestrials on other worlds, but which look significantly diffi- different to us, then the big question is, well, who made them? Right. And so these are the big questions that we're we'll going to sort of crop up if you know revelation <laughs> no pun intended actually <laughs> occurs <laughs> actually occurs you know um and so i think you're right i think the the church is realizing that there's sort of a, actually quite a big interest in the ufo subject on the public's part you know with tv shows and things like that and yes it has become certainly more respectable than it was sort of 20 years ago sure and i think we've sort of you know the when we're seeing now more and more Earth-like planets being found, you know, out in different parts of the universe, and and we have this situation building up, I think the Church is realizing that there is a possibility or even a probability of life on other worlds. And they're kind of just, I think they're probably sort of hedging their bets of, you know, wanting to, if, if Revelation does come and, you know, somebody says, yes, we really did, recover a crash UFO 70 years ago and we're going to put it for everybody to see then I think, or if it was out of our hands and they came down of their own volition, then I think the you know, the, the Vatican is essentially sort of preparing people in the case it happens by just putting all this material on the back burner and making a few statements here and there uh, but then if it all comes out you know, they can say, well we were already telling you about this, you know, it's sort of protects their image i think more than anything else oh absolutely <laughs> i would totally agree <laughs> but, but i mean in terms of religion collapsing i mean that that could happen because i mean you know when you talk about religious stuff that gets really controversial and of course there are some researchers who think that you know that the, the gods or a god or you know multiple gods were in reality ancient extraterrestrials and not gods right so then there would be the question are there any gods, you know, and how does that impact upon life after death and so on? So I, I do think there are major doors that would be opened and questions would be asked. And and again, I think that could be one of the reasons of the secrecy, that whoever's hiding all this just doesn't know how to tell the world. It may not actually be, ironically, that they, you know, there may be some people in these groups that do want the story out, but it's such a controversial, difficult story to tell could just be the case that it's easier not to tell it, you know. Yeah, that's a very good point. Now, switching gears a little bit here, um, as far as uh, conspiracy mm. and uh, all the different types of, of conspiracy theories that are out there right now, now this might be a difficult question to answer as well. Mm. Of all the conspiracy theories, which one is your favorite um yeah you, you got you're good with these questions I'm tonight <laughs> <laughs> um, um let me let me see well you know the, the, there's a lot of them out there i, I mean the, 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 excuse me i'm dog sitting sorry oh, about that fine. <laughs> <laughs> um i think when you when we look at conspiracy theories you know there are smaller conspiracies and then there are worldwide conspiracies um, one of the ones that fascinates me because it's so it sounds so disturbing that people think it couldn't be real but then every so often little snippets pop up that suggest well maybe it just is and this is the idea of sort of finding ways to lower the population sure. you know the, um, 
you, you can find a lot of stories like this and even documents, official documents over the years that have looked into ways of you know, reducing the population. And then you look at, in the last 10 years of the rise of sort of viruses, you know, spontaneous rising of viruses and stuff like the Zika virus and things like this. And, yeah. You know, it does make me wonder if there are people out there who, you know, sort of have crossed the line and have taken the view that we've, the, the, the herd, so to speak, has got to be cold, you know what I mean? Absolutely. That kind of situation. Um, and there are some other conspiracy theories, like smaller ones, more localized, which, but which really interest me. For example, um, since the early part of the 2000s, 2001 or thereabouts, there have been a lot of very weird and mysterious deaths in the field of microbiology. You know, people who research exotic viruses and biological warfare. You know, and if you, if you Google like, microbiology scientist deaths, you'll see there's dozens and dozens of them. And uh, so I've, I'm quite interested in some of these sort of conspiracies where you have multiple deaths um, in one particular area. For example, it was like the banking community a couple of years ago. Sure. It was like a spectrum of our deaths in that field. So, you know, I, I sort of take notes. Some of these things I investigate, some I don't, but I still kind of try and take note of them, you know. Absolutely. Now, you know, going back to the microbiology thing, um, mm. what are some of the, the staggering things that you have found uh, concerning that? Oh, well, well, I mean, it actually sort of began round about 2001, you know, sort of in the post, the immediate post 9-11 uh, world. And it was occurring in the United States, in the UK, in Russia, in Australia, in the Middle East. And what was happening was that literally dozens of microbiologists as I said, which is the field of sort of virology, viruses, microbes, things, microorganisms, and also looking at how these things can be weaponized as well. And what was happening was that they were, I mean, they were dropping like flies. Uh, there was one case of a guy in the United States who just randomly jumped off a bridge. Um, okay. There was a, a Dr. James Kelly um, in the UK who was found with his wrist slashed in a, an area of woodland. And um, you had another one in Australia who died a very bizarre death. Um, others jumping off buildings, um, wow. carbon monoxide poisoning, you know, by just starting the car engine up and putting a hose pipe, you know, through the exhaust, sure. etc. And they've all been put down to sort of random muggings, murders, suicide, depression. But if you look at it, what's most notable of all is the sheer number of deaths, literally dozens and dozens, in a very short period of time. Wow. And if you go, what a lot of people haven't done, they've told the story of the deaths, but they, a lot of them have failed to point out, if you look back, say five, ten years before that, you didn't see that number of deaths. You know, it was just, you know, almost, you know, insignificant number. So why is it that then there should suddenly be a, a, a massive increase if it's just down to random events? If it's just down to random, you know, somebody has a heart attack, somebody's wise left them and they're suicidal or whatever right. that kind of thing we should see through that in the microbiology field for say the last 20 or 30 years but we're not seeing that those are um, very odd ways to to pass on as well um yeah you know like you said it, it almost seems like a high high number of of suicides or whatever uh, or something that might suggest suicide um but could easily yeah. be foul play as well well it could and i mean there are two theories one is that um, the microbiologists are trying to find, you know, a way to create the ultimate bioweapon, and that there are other 
uh, you know, forces that want to stop them from doing it. And then you have the other scenario that um, the, it's not so much developing the um, the ultimate bioweapon, that perhaps some of these um, microbiologists are actually worried about what's going to happen, but they've got insider information and they've been killed off before they can tell the world about, you know, some people suggest the idea of using microbiology and viruses to lower the population. So in other words, ironically, they might not be the bad guys who are being wiped out by somebody else. Right. They might be the good guys, sort of whistleblowers, trying to warn people that, you know, getting killed before they have the opportunity. Wow. That's interesting stuff right there. Um, and of course... Yeah, you, I don't know why no one's ever... I mean, I'm, I'm not doing it myself, but I mean, because I've got so much going on. But I'm surprised nobody's ever really written a book on all these microbiologist deaths because there's... I mean, it's not like there's one or two or, or they're all the same. You know, it would no. make a really readable book. Wow. And, of course, you know, you think back to that time period as far as, you know, 2001, um, very close to 9-11 in that time frame. And you, you think of, um, well, I guess everybody was freaking out about anthrax. Yeah. At that time. It's just it's very strange to, to think about what exactly may have been going on. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we had the anthrax scare right after 9-11, then you got all these microbiology deaths, and, you know, then we had bird flu, and, um, you know, then today we've got the Zika virus, and, and, you know, things like this in the last few years have been cropping up here and there, and I think there's definitely also, like, a fear factor tied to this that tried to, you know, to try to make us live in fear of, you know, you go outside and you touch somebody's front door you know you're gonna you need to wash your hands immediately you yes. know well i mean i remember when i was a kid you know sort of five or six years old the plane outside with toy soldiers you know and you get some dirt on your fingers and next thing you know you know it's in your mouth or whatever you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. nobody cared <laughs> it didn't kill anybody so i think not to not to sort of overemphasize or, or underplay things but i mean the the world has the been turned into a situation where I think certain people want us to live in fear and in fear of everything, you know, in fear of going outside, in fear of letting your kids play outside, sure. in fear of you name it. And for me, you know, I don't, I don't play that game. You know, I think we should do what we want to do. And, and I don't have much time for sort of the so-called politically correct stuff of saying the right thing, you know, say <laughs> what you think, you know, say what you think when you, when you think it. Exactly. Um, but I, I think there is something to this and um, I think it is quite sinister when we we're seeing all this sort of weird uncertainty of like i said emerging viruses and you know plane crashes and vanishings and it's just the world's just become sort of a really seriously weird place in the last 15 years yeah i would totally agree with that um you know it's interesting too you brought up a good point there you know like even i remember um um when the ebola thing was you know a huge deal um and i don't even remember how many confirmed cases were in the united oh. states but it was very very minuscule oh well actually there was yeah i mean i can tell you quite a lot about this because i mean this is also sort of reflects what we're talking about because yeah. i live just outside dallas i live in the city of arlington which is about a 20 minute drive from about well, 30 minute drive from downtown dallas sure and um you know, you actually have, that's where the outbreak pretty much was, you know, that the, that the guy who flew over from Africa, I think it was, you know, and who yes. didn't declare he was sick. 
and then a couple of the nurses got ill uh, but they fortunately recovered and now the guy who you know brought it over he died yes. um, so actually it was just like a handful but I mean I remember because of sort of living in the Dallas area when I was following this story on the internet and on TV there were people who were saying that you know Dallas had to be cordoned off and quarantined and and it was kind of like it was kind of like the walking dead you know wow. it was like people said the infected have got to be rounded up you know wow. and um but into, people are saying this is going to be, you know, the first step before sort of Nazi concentration camps. And what actually happened was that, well, one guy died and the rest recovered. And then it was just forgotten about. But it does sort of demonstrate how how people's minds have suddenly changed. I'm pretty sure that had not all this sort of induced fear about viruses surfaced first. You know, if the Ebola thing had broken out, say, 20 years ago... Right, quite rightly, there would be concern. Yes. However, there wouldn't be, you know, all this talk of concentration camps and rounding people up and cordoning off the city and having, you know, the, the military letting people in and out or whatever. And I think it's because our mindset or people trying to change our mindset into almost like an apocalyptic state of fear all the time, you know. And I think that's why we get so many movies. Uh, the yes. last 10 years about the end of the world because it buys into this sort of mindset that people have been plunged into, you know, whether it's zombies or whether it's, you know, a comet hitting the planet or a virus or a nuclear war or whatever, you know, it's sort of, um, it, it, that's just what's happening, really. It does seem that, you know, like you said earlier, it does seem, you know, 9-11 was kind of this turning point almost, mm-hmm. As far as mentality goes, and now, yes, people are afraid. Um, it seems like constantly we're afraid of something. And I know, like, maybe it was six or seven years ago, possibly, but we had, like, uh, everybody and their dog had, like, swine flu. Um, you know, and that was that was the thing to fear at that moment. Um, and now, you know, the... The Ebola and all that stuff. It just keeps going and going and going. But my question is, you know, what is going on behind the curtain? As we're looking left, what's happening to our right? Well, I think, you know, again, it comes back to, you know, people talk about the government. Again, I don't sort of think, personally, I don't think this is, quote, the government or, or a government doing this. I think, I mean, there's good evidence to suggest that, you know, some of the big... Um, money, you know, money characters in the world and secret societies and, you know, these big businesses and the banking communities and things like this, they sort of hold far more power and influence than somebody who's in power for sort of four years or whatever, you know. Yeah. And I think, I think the, the stuff to create, what might actually be sort of the closest thing to a new world order we could think of, I actually don't think the guilty parties are, you know, the government or government agencies. I think it actually is sort of these power mongers and these, you know, ancient families, secret societies who who pull the strings and they only need to sort of do a, a couple of things here and there and it kind of then takes on a life of its own where everything becomes part of it, you know, that somebody just puts out a story that um I mean like I mean, you know, 9/11. I mean, after 9/11 Every, you know, a lot of people are frightened of flying, and now today, you know, we like the you know the suicide pilots a couple of years ago, and yes. and then you know planes disappearing, you name it, 
um, a lot of people are apprehensive about flying. I mean, the way I look at it, I've got to fly, so I get on a plane. If, if something happens, it happens. If it doesn't, well, you know, that's how it goes. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, it's the same with viruses. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's gone over the top where people are living in, like I said, living in fear of, you know, walking through an airport and touching a door, for God's sake. You know, it's, um, <laughs> it, it's, just, it's just gone insane. And I think also, you know, while we have to obviously be fully aware of, you know, real terrorist threats, the fact is, if you live in fear and you don't go, say, on, you know, in an area where there's been terrorist attacks, well, then you actually have become their victim. You know, the whole point of terrorism is to create terror. Sure. Uh, and if you, if you, you know, you're frightened to go to where the attacks have occurred, or you, you know, let's say, God forbid it happened, but, um, you know, there's an attack on a particular landmark or something like that. Um, well, if you never go to that landmark again, and it's a famous, cherished landmark, again, you've, you've bought into their fear angle, and that's what they want. So I think, you know, we need to be sort of vigilant, but also we need to, you know, essentially say, well, we're not going to let it change our lives. And, uh, and that's one of the big issues, you know, also with the, the angle of what needs to be done to protect us. And I think, you know, that's why there needs to be a big debate on issues such as widespread surveillance of the entire, you know, everybody's phone numbers being collected, that kind of thing. Right. You know, does that, I don't believe that actually helps at all to combat genuine threats. Because if it did, we wouldn't have sort of homegrown terrorists who get away with it and do it. You know, <laughs> instead of instead of collecting the numbers of somebody's grandmother who lives in a little town in Wisconsin, <laughs> you know, which does which serves no purpose at all. Um, and I think that's one of the problems. It's like the the whole um, official angle of watching people has just gone insanely through the window. You know, it's uh, through the roof. It's just gone to a place where no thoughts given to it rather well let's just collect everything on everyone but if you do that you know it's like we're going to collect information on everyone to preserve your way of life but if all if information on everybody is being collected well your way of life has been changed Absolutely. so you know that that's the problem as well there's you know a lot of issues to be looked at to try and keep the world safe but also to keep us sane and also to keep us in a you know to get us back to a completely free society without you know having to lose our rights you know we, we should far be able to combat all the you know all this in the world without losing our rights you know we fought the second world war against nazi germany adolf hitler who could have you know came close to winning the war and exterminated millions of the jewish people but we didn't give up our rights you know when we're fighting him we just it was common sense and we all banded together and did what had to be done. We could still do that today without having to, you know, have uh, iPhones monitored and our laptops and everything else. Right. Absolutely. Well, I got to tell you, Nick, um, you have been more than generous with your time and I appreciate the hell out of it. Um, now, um, before I let you go, where can people find, uh, find you, find your books and what you're up to? Okay. Well, if you type Nick Redford into your favorite search engine, you'll see my blog, which is the first one that comes up, and it's called World of Whatever, and the address is Nick Redfern Fortian, which is F-O-R-T-E-A-N, Nick Redfern Fortian, 
www.blogspot.com and I try and update the blog most days and uh, you know with articles I'm doing or conferences I've been to and things like that or just news stories and um, people can also reach me at Facebook uh, if you just type in um, Nick Redfern there's, there's half a dozen or so Nick Redferns but you'll, you'll see me there somewhere <laughs> um, and you know always happy to chat with people and um, people can also reach me at Twitter as well so um, you know so various ways to reach me if people want to share information or if they got questions you know or want any help or any advice on something that's happened to them you know paranormal or ufo or whatever you know i'm always happy to to chat with people i'm not one of these you know unfortunately there are a few in the subject you know take the view that oh i'm an author don't bother me you know what i mean that kind of thing <laughs> and sure. um, but the way i look at it we're all kind of in it together you know we've got the witnesses We've got people like you, you've got your radio show, I write the books, and we're all part of a bigger thing, you know what I mean? So I think it's sort of right to, you know, people, to help people, you know, if, you know, give them time if they've got questions or whatever. Absolutely. Very, very cool. Well, thank you again so much, and I, uh, I look forward, uh, I look forward to June and getting to pick your brain further. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it as well. As I say, I like to sort of mix it up and, you know, when a conference actually isn't a conference, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. Now, this will just kind of be a more or less an intimate gathering, you know. Yeah. It'll be a lot of fun. Well, that's good, yeah. I mean, you know, conferences are good. And, you know, I mean, some of the conferences I speak at, you know, there's sort of a thousand people in the audience. Sure. But there is that something to be said when you've got sort of, you know, you're all sort of sat together or hanging out together. And there's that sort of intimacy of sharing information, you know, and um, and experiencing something together. That, that's sometimes that's even sort of more important than, you know, getting 500 people in a room or whatever. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. It'll be great. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, Nick. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. thanks. See you later. Bye-bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it, Mr. Nick Redford. So, Jason, what'd you think of that interview, brother? I have to ask you, did you feel a little intimidated by his this interview? What? Okay, yeah. Let me let me just go on record. Yes. Uh, not that it showed. I was just asking. No, I don't think it showed. I was just I asking if you felt intimidated. Very much so, actually. Like, very much so. Craziness. Yes. <laughs> Well, maybe part of it has to do with the accent. You think that's it? I don't know. Maybe. I think it is, honestly. Maybe maybe it's just hearing the accent makes me automatically feel inferior. I think that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't know. wait to spend three hours in the car with him. Yeah, you're a dick. To go into detail with you're some of this stuff. You're a because dick. <laughs> Jesus. Everything he talked about... I really want to look into that um, uh, the, the know, micro the killings of the, the microbiologists, microbiologists yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, um, definitely worth uh, checking out. I was completely unaware that things like that were going on. Um, I had heard not necessarily microbiologists. It was but something I else, man. At one point, that there's there's been other points where lots of scientists yes. seem to disappear and die. Now, sometimes. Like but sometime recently, I believe it was within the last year, year and a half, maybe two years, um, there was another group of, I believe there were doctors. Um, I don't know exactly what their specialty was, um, but they were being killed off. 
left and right. And people were suspecting um, foul play or a, a serial killer of sorts anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, weird shit like this happens all the fucking well, time. Well, I know it's that just... this happened in the NASA community, or at least space community. Absolutely. At a couple different points in time. Absolutely. It's, it's whether or not the mainstream media allows us to know what's going on. Ultimately, that's what it boils down to. It's It seems like we need to do our own digging when it comes to how we consume our news. I, I don't trust network television when it comes to the news. Well, yeah, and I don't know if I can trust even online stuff. You don't know where anything comes from anymore. That's the problem, is you really, really I, need to check. You never really did. You no. never really did. Looking back, I'm surprised that anybody ever trusted the news. Yeah. Well, you have to ask yourself, who... Who runs the station? And ultimately, who signs that guy's paycheck? Well, they're all owned. Like, I don't have they're, it in front of me, but I've seen a list of the mass one majority. company that yes. owns, owns like, 35 TV stations, exactly. including most of the major news networks. And they're all owned owns, by the same fucking yeah. person. Exactly. Owns thousands upon thousands of newspapers. Right. And... And online blogs and and everything else out there, so no matter it's all owned by one company, exactly. and and you can say that well, you know, these news anchors don't really, even if the person that runs that company, maybe they don't micromanage the, but that, that those people, those news anchors, want to keep their job. If they start speaking out on something that the person that owns the company doesn't believe in, right, then they're going to get axed eventually. Well, in all honesty, though, I mean, if you are a a television, you know, whatever, a a station, for example, and you are looking for an anchor, you're not going to be looking at somebody who's wanting to report the hard-hitting news. You're looking for a pretty talking head. Yeah. You're looking for somebody that's going to read verbatim what's on the teleprompter and not ask any fucking questions. It doesn't matter. Oh yeah, the same company owns you know thousands of news or news radio stations as well, Um, and I have a little bit of experience with just the local news radio station. Sure, and like the guys always say there, and I believe them that it's not like they're oh that there was a massive UFO sighting in North Kansas City and they're told not to talk about it. It Doesn't happen that way. No, it's not like that. But if they did talk about it, I mean the culture's already. Is going to say, well, you're an idiot. We're not going to listen to you. Is yeah. what the listener, most listeners would think. They're going to think they're crazy. You know, that was there was one question there that I wanted to ask Nick, and I'm just going to save it. I'm going to save the question until he's right there in front of me on June 24th there at Malvern Manor. I'm going to save that question, and I'm, I'm kind of pissed at myself that I didn't ask the question, but I'm saving it because I want to hear his thoughts on it so well hopefully we'll be able to at the very least record his lecture and release it as an episode if not oh that'd be great be able to make an episode live with him i don't see why we wouldn't have time to do that no we totally could do that we could make it work we could make it work. i think he's getting into kansas city at ten thirty in the morning three hours up there we'll have a few hours before we start that'd be with great people man. at malvern so we can uh take him out to dinner 
get them nice and sauced or something beforehand. <laughs> there, go talk. <laughs> yeah, tell us what you really think. <laughs> Hell yes. You guys are all pawns in my game. Yeah, exactly. Dance puppets. <laughs> of course, he would have an accent there. <laughs> Insert accent here. Perfect. All right. Now, I'd like to hear from our listeners what they thought of the interview. If they've yeah. heard him on other shows, I'm sure he makes the rounds like everybody else. Oh, he absolutely uh, does. Yes. If you like our interview better than other people's interviews, let us know. I hadn't actually listened to other interviews before this one um, to know if he talked about different things on our show than he did on other shows. Yeah, I don't know, man. But he did say that there was a few questions he had never gotten before. Yeah. That, so. That's always a nice thing to have. So, Hell yes. Well, I tell you what. I'm going to wrap up the show. I hope you guys have a great fucking weekend. Stay safe. Have fun. We'll catch you again bright and early Tuesday morning with a new segment. Peace out. Rate and review us on iTunes. <laughs>